The one thing about ageism is it's really experienced discrimination in a lot of cases. Imagine a company has decided that they've got the budget for a Hyundai and you come in <laughs> and you're a BMW. It doesn't matter how much you sell me on your bells and whistles and how amazing you are. I can't afford you. So a lot of people go into the interviews and it, I get why. When you start out and you have no experience, right? You're so intimidated in interviews because you have nothing to share. And then you get all this experience. So when you go back out in the workforce to interview again, people will be like, I want to tell them everything I can do. I'm going to blow their mind about how much value I bring them. But that's not what they're looking for. That's not what they can afford. And so you come into that interview and you're so over the top that you don't realize it, but you look controlling, narcissistic. You can look desperate if it comes out wrong. Welcome back to another episode of the Who You Know Show podcast, where what you know is important, but who you know can make all the difference in your business, career, relationships, and life. My name is Trevor Houston, and on this show, you'll learn the strategy, grit, and mindset it takes to overcome obstacles so you can level up in your career, recover your cash flow, and live the life of purpose that God intended for you. Don't forget to look at the mic drop moments timestamped in the show notes below. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to pay it forward, subscribe, and leave an honest review so we can improve. Thanks for listening. My name is Trevor Houston, and please enjoy this episode of the Who You Know Show. She is the job search guru. If you want to know a job search guru, you're looking at it. Um, before all the success and the, the, the millions of followers and all that kind of stuff, like how did you get into helping job seekers? Where did that start? And where did you get the heart for it? Because obviously you're passionate about it. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I was in HR and recruiting for a bunch of years and watched people just make massive mistakes in their career. And I kept wondering, like, how are people doing this? Like, how are they making these mistakes? And I quickly realized it's because they don't teach it to us in school. Yeah. Know, and things are always changing. So in 2001, I decided to flip to the other side. I thought I'll become a career coach and I'll work with people one-on-one. -on -one. And I took a certification. And when I graduated from it, they said, okay, your job now is to start to raise your rates, you know, work with some people. And eventually you only have to work with about six people a month and you'll make thousands of dollars. And I, that just didn't sit right. It yeah. felt really wrong. I said, that's not the point. The point is to help all the other people because Executives and pro athletes, by the way, because we got a pro athlete on the show today, which yeah. is awesome. They Excellent. know something that the rest of the world doesn't. And that is coaching isn't a sign of weakness. It's the path to greatness. It's why we have coaches, multiple coaches. It's why executives pay many dollars for that and why pro athletes have them. But the average person doesn't know that. So in 2001, that was it. I made it my mission and said, I'm going to figure out a way to leverage technology online and, and be as innovative as possible and edutain as much as I can just to hold people's attention and teach them this stuff so that they can have a fighting chance. And that's literally been the mission. It's scary to say that it's going to be 20 years next year. So. Wow. <laughs> so you said something. I'm going to give you a mic drop. Okay. So edutaining, right? Uh, you're doing this on multiple channels. You got like a million on TikTok and I like that blows me away. And then your YouTube and you got like 2.6 on, on LinkedIn and all that. Where did it all start? What was your channel of choice? And then, and why? Like, what did you see trending and how did it kind of start to build to where you're at today? Yeah, so it technically started with a blog. Oh. So in 2007, 2008, I saw what was happening with the last economy, the recession. 
And then just started getting to blogging and said, you know what, there's a real opportunity here to engage audiences because they can comment. Mm. So I started with a blog, but really quickly after that, 2008, true story, I was writing, I co-author a syndicated advice column with a guy named Dale Dotton. And uh, the company said, we need you to review Twitter. And I, oh. I was like, Twitter, are you kidding me? Well, what is this thing? <laughs> Three weeks on Twitter. And then like everyone else, one day it just clicked for me. So I went and found six other career coaches on Twitter and said, every day, Monday through Friday at high noon, I'm going to drop a question from somebody and you're all going to answer. And we called it the TAP project, the Twitter advice project. And it, it blew up. And suddenly we were all getting thousands of followers on Twitter. And that's when I knew social media is where it's at. So every time a new platform came along, I would start to explore it. And not so long after that was when I, I guess I would say I got my big break with LinkedIn. I still remember I was sitting there and I got an email from someone at LinkedIn and it said, we'd like to talk to you, but you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of odd. And of course I did. And that's when they shared they were going to launch their influencer program. And that even though I was a complete nobody and, it, you know, I was no star whatsoever, the fact that I had been tweeting and blogging about career advice and specifically LinkedIn led them to give me a shot and wow. said, okay, we'll let you be an influencer. So I'm literally, when they started, I was the influencer with the least amount of followers. I had nobody, nobody knew who I was, but they said, in order to keep your status, you have to write twice a week. You have to contribute twice a week or we're going to pull you. So I did. And I just wrote and wrote and commented and engaged with the audience like mad and the rest is history. Nice. So started with the blog and then the tick or uh, then Twitter. Twitter. Uh, and then, then you went to, to LinkedIn, LinkedIn knocked on your door. Cause they were like, you know, she's crushing it over here. So we got to get her over here. We got to try to like steal her away from Twitter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's awesome. And now you got TikTok crushing it and oh, yeah. you're over there dancing and making the, you know, uh, busting a move. So I want to see if we can do something for the audience real quick. Can we do a TikTok? Can we do a TikTok right now? I'm going to, we're going to get in here and we're going to do a dance. Okay, nice. so, I, so I just hit that like that. Yeah. I want to just, we just come on. So you get in there, you do a, do a little dance and you're pointing at things, you get the music going, but it's like advice, you know, like you're, 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 uh, giving job search advice. So, yeah. And here's what's, what's key is what she had said that they had a requirement to do two, right? Two, uh, blogs, two, two posts or articles a, a week. Yeah. And she said that she was commenting and engaging. So, I mean, consistency, consistency. That's, that's it. Yeah. That's it on TikTok, too. If we want to jump to TikTok, it, it, it's all about the consistency. You're going to find your voice, but you've got to be consistent and you've got to offer something up that they need to learn to know. And everybody has something that they can talk about on TikTok, which is why I think it's such an amazing platform. It's a very inclusive platform and super fun. It's like binge watching, too. I swear, if I ever pull the thing out and actually use it, I'm like there for hours and I don't even realize that I look up and I'm like, why was I looking at this for yeah, hours? All right. So JT, I got a question for you. Um, you've been doing this a long time. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn, be, be like you. So, okay, here we go. What's the biggest job, uh, uh, seeker mistake that you're seeing these days? What, what are they, what are they just absolutely messing up? Yeah. Spray and pray okay. is number one. Spray yeah. and pray. Mm -hmm. So everybody thinks that the online job application process was designed to make it easier for the job seeker. Mm -mm. It was designed to make it easier for the employer. That's right. Because the employer is now getting hundreds and thousands of applicants and needs a way to screen the majority of them out without a human having to do it. 
So I talk to people all the time that say, JT, I, I send out 50 applications, 100 applications. I've spent hours online. I didn't hear from anyone. And then I get to be the bearer of bad news. It says, because 97% of the time, literally, that's not a made up number, you got screened out by a computer and a human yeah. being didn't see your application. So when you have somebody come to you and say, I spent the last six months doing that, you're telling them essentially they haven't been looking for work for six months. And that is happening so badly right now. And I get it because it's a pandemic. So we turn to technology and think that that's the solution, but it isn't. Yeah. Some people teach it. They do the same thing with me. They'll check and they'll say, Foster, I've applied for all these jobs. And I automatically know that, number one, they've applied to miss, number one. And it, it, we have to apply for the, what we have the skills to prove. So what about company mistakes? Like, what are the big mistakes that companies are making right now? So there's a huge hidden job market right now that I think a lot of people don't realize. Companies that laid off are still hiring. And a lot of people assume nobody's hiring right now. A lot are hiring, but they're not publicly posting their jobs because they don't want to get inundated with thousands of applicants that they can't handle. So they create a job description and then they share it within their company, right? So this who you know piece of it, right? It's all who you yeah. know at this point. Your network is your net worth, which is good in the sense that it they don't get overwhelmed with applicants in the sense that you're only getting people that happen to know somebody who knows somebody. So okay. I think where employers should be thinking differently is for brand content that talks about what they're about and really embraces who they are so that people can self-select. I think if we can do a better job of showing people what it's like to work at our companies and the good, the bad, and the ugly, and tell you flat out who's going to work well here and who's not, we will see people not spray and pray, not apply because they know that it's not a right fit for them. And, you know, that's hard for companies to hear because I think they're afraid to reveal themselves. But mm. all the companies I know that are revealing themselves are getting the best talent. You know what? I love that because tell me what's wrong with it. Like, uh, I was talking with uh, a lady the other day. She's got a franchise business, right? And the franchise business is not for everybody. That's right. right? Like, not everybody is meant to be a business owner or an entrepreneur. That's I true. Mean, you, right? You know that, right? I so, know that. Right? Not everybody is meant to that. They're not cut out for that, right? Uh-huh. But tell us that, right? Like, don't just go in and, and try to sell everybody on it. Why, why you should be in this franchise. No, no, no. Tell me like, hey, this isn't for everybody, but for the right people, right? This could change your whole life. This could change your world. And so that way you only attract the people that you really want that are a good fit. And uh, I think companies should really take that on. Tell us the negative stuff too, right? Don't just tell us all the pie in the sky. So that's a good point. JT, what is your official definition of the hidden job market? Because there's so much talk about the hidden job market. Yeah. So the hidden job market to me is when companies choose to leverage their recruiters to go out and find candidates as opposed to post and gather resumes. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just huge. It, it will explode in the next 18 to 24 minutes. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, the larger companies will do it because they don't want the backlash of, you know, thousands of people applying and saying that they didn't respond to me. You know, they don't want the negativity. But the other thing we don't think about right now is that the amount of new jobs and new companies that are being created right now is mind-blowing to me to the point that I get yeah, like crazy is. excited. And there's a phrase that I want to be known for saying right now Do in it. this um, pandemic, which is the bigger the disruption, the bigger the innovation. I've been through this several times. And every uh -huh. time we have a recession, 
there's this massive explosion oh. of new companies. Facebook, all these big companies keep out of disruption. I tell people, imagine looking out into a, a huge field, a big dirt field, and you know that a million seeds were planted in that field. You stare at that for a while and all you see is dirt. And then one day it explodes. It explodes. And there's uh, plants and they're growing fast, right? That's what's happening right now. I've talked to people in private equity and venture capital. They're investing in companies. And these little companies, they don't have HR and they don't have recruiting. So they end up hiring people that they know. And eventually they get big enough to bring somebody on to start to actually recruit. So I predict within, I would say, six to 18 months, you're going to just start to see this surge. And they don't have the budget to spend to post their jobs on Indeed or LinkedIn or Glassdoor. So once again, you're going to have to do a little digging to find them. But it's going to come fast and furious. There are going to be careers that have never been invented, jobs yeah. that have never been invented. Yeah. There's so much opportunity coming. It's mind-blowing. I, I totally I, this I feel you. This 100%. It's like, you know, this pandemic, pandemic like, turn on the light switch, right? Everybody was forced to. These companies were forced to, like, think again like yeah. just dream again like innovate create you have to otherwise you're gonna die like your company will go under right and that's they're being forced to get uncomfortable and do things that you know they normally wouldn't do so it's creating a lot of new jobs i'm sure right mm -hmm. so i totally agree with what you're saying and it's also probably going to get rid of a lot of jobs too there's going to be a lot of oh, jobs yeah. that are obsolete yeah because we technology is going to come you know yep. take over so you better, uh, if you're a job seeker, you better be thinking about those trends in your industry as well, because, yeah. you know, it could be tough, you know, if, if all of a sudden you find out technology took your job. Supply and demand, right? I think yep. the next surge of lamps we're going to see are people who are overpriced for the market, who held on to their job. And now these companies are going, wait a minute, I can, I can get somebody cheaper. I just talked to a recruiter last week. Their company said they couldn't get anybody with a PhD in the U.S. to talk to them for less than 150000 they now are virtual and global and can get three to four PhDs from overseas at 35 to 40,000 and they're perfectly happy. So when you see a salary disruption like that, everyone needs to stay, take a step back and say, do I know what I'm worth right now in this economy? And am I creating value, like you said, so that I can stay competitive? Because if I wanna maintain the salary, I have got to really you know, provide return on investment. Yeah, 100%. You gotta add value. I'd like to hear from you What's your biggest advice that you would give job seekers that feel like they're dealing with ageism, age bias? Yeah, yeah. So the one thing about ageism is it's really experienced discrimination in a lot of cases. So I tell people, imagine a company has decided that they've got the budget for a Hyundai. Oh. And you come in <laughs> and you're a BMW. Yeah. It doesn't ha matter how much you sell me on your bells and whistles and how amazing you are to drive. I can't afford you. Dang. So a lot of people go into the interviews and it, I get why. When you start out and you have no experience, right? You're so intimidated in interviews because you have nothing to share. And then you get all this experience. So when you go back out in the workforce to interview again, people will be like, I want to tell them everything I can do. I am the Jack or Jill of all trades. I'm going to blow their mind about how much value I bring them. But that's not what they're looking for. That's not what they can afford. And so you come into that interview and you're so over the top that you don't realize it, but you look controlling, narcissistic. You can look desperate if it comes out wrong. And so you'll often hear, oh, you're overqualified for this job because they just can't imagine somebody that intense being in their environment. They're, they're afraid they're going to let you down. 
So my advice to people who have a lot of experience is use your emotional intelligence and a ton of intellectual humility right now. Play it down. Yes, you have this experience, but explain to them how, because they think you're up here to level it out, explain to them all the things they have. Why are they the best in their industry? What are they doing that's innovative? What skill sets are you going to gain there that you couldn't gain someplace else? Until you make them see that they have a lot to offer you and you tone down that overselling, it won't work. But the moment you do that, and I've, I've worked with so many people in their 50s who have come to me at work a daily and said, hands down, I can't get hired. And then they get multiple job offers. And it's oh, all yeah. because they changed the way they approach the interview. They didn't change who they are. They just changed the approach. I love that. I love your analogy of the car. So for all y'all uh, boomers out there, she just told you, you're a BMW, okay? You're premium, right? Like you're premium quality, baby. I, I, now they just need a Hyundai right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> but remember your value. You are a freaking BMW because I know right now it may be tough. Maybe it's been an extended search and you feel like a Hyundai. But no, remember, you're a BMW. You're, you're so much more valuable than the words on your resume. So oh, remember yeah. that. Well, and on on the same token, right? Wouldn't you like to get a BMW for the price of a Hyundai? Right? Heck you yeah. gotta sell that. You gotta sell that concept. Yeah. One last question I have yeah. for you before we before we get out of here. Um, I saw your video. It was a TikTok. You was you was ticking and talking, and you were talking about the eight levels you need to master. Okay, it's kind of like a video game. The eight levels you need to master. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, spending this much time helping job seekers, it's become really clear where the roadblocks are. And it's just like a video game. So it starts out with the ATS and understanding that you could get tossed. It moves on to your resume and making sure that it's readable, that they can actually read and absorb what's there. Then you're moving on to a cover letter. You've got to tell them a story that gets them at hello so that they actually want to pull you from the pile. Then there's LinkedIn because every recruiter is validating you on LinkedIn. So you've got to have that presence. Then you're moving on to interview prep because the interview is where you can literally break free from the pack and put yourself in a position to negotiate a higher salary. So you got to crush the interview. Networking is the way that you get the interviews. You all are doing such an amazing job with this show, proving that point, right? Your network is your net worth. Then it's on to your job search strategy because you don't want to spray and pray. We talked about this. You want to target in on a set of employers, build the networking in order to land the opportunities. And then lastly, it's your career story. And that's everything that's going on up here. Like it or not, you've got a major motion picture, an epic novel in your head where you've categorized and processed everything that's happened to you in your career. And depending on how you're telling that story, it's super subjective. So if you're not telling the right story, it's literally limiting you in your ability to succeed. So you've got to rewrite that story and make sure that it's on point so that you can do the right things and succeed. Wow. Love it. Beth, that was our point, okay? That's why she's JT O'Donnell. Oh, JT, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you a million. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Who You Know Show podcast. My name is Trevor Houston, and if you've enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing wherever you listen and leave us a positive review to help us keep the mics on in the studio. Until next week, that's the show. It's all about who you know.